Scions of the Southland. Mr. Grant, uh, Zoom tells me that we only have 40 minutes to record this episode. So where would you like to start? Uh, let's start with the, uh, the ones we can kind of knock out pretty quick. Um, that being golf and cross country, uh, you may ask, we haven't heard anything about golf and cross country. Did they do anything this week? And the answer to that is no. Uh, but it is worth noting because golf is in Glencoe, Illinois, uh, tomorrow and Tuesday at Northwestern's little invitational they got going. Um, so yeah, definitely closer to this episode than our next one in terms of things to know there, um, 14 teams, uh, several of which were in the tournament last year, uh, Northwestern, Cal Poly, us, Indiana, Kansas, Kent State, Marquette, Michigan State, uh, North Florida, Notre Dame, uh, Ohio State, South Florida, UC Davis, and Washington, uh, Georgia Tech comes in as the, uh, I guess, hot off the heels of a Maui Gym Invitational win, and they are currently number eight in the coaches poll, number four in the Sagarin Index, which is like uh, the Sagarin Index for football, but for golf, uh, if you if you know your uh, obscure football uh, advanced numbers. But uh, hey, hey, now put some respect on one of the BCS's major computer polls. Thank you. Fair enough. Um, but he does do a lot of polls for um, for computer right, type analytics for a lot of different sports. So check those out. Um, it's cool that they do it for golf. Uh, I like advanced stats. In addition, uh, we've got cross country next weekend in Fairburn at the Alexander A6 invite. If you're in the neighborhood, check it out. I don't know too much more than that, but uh, they'll be up that way. And uh, yeah, they'll... Uh, They'll join the slate with the uh, the meat of the rest of this, that being volleyball and football. Absolutely. So let's roll right into volleyball talk. This past week, which really was just Friday and earlier today, they went. They, I mean, they went six and zero in terms of sets and two and zero in terms of games. Uh, they swept at Wake and they swept at VT. Um, I have some notes because I got to watch the VT game a little bit earlier today. What did you have to think about the weekend overall general thoughts? We needed to win two games and we got two wins and, and it's weird to say needed, but um, especially with how I guess thin the margins are to be at, in an ACC volleyball program uh, without the, you know, fail safe of the conference tournament, get some of that quality competition at the end of the year. It, it really is uh, important to schedule well and take care of business and, we're in the take care of business part, right? It, uh, it's going to get real, real quick here. Um, and, and Wake and Virginia Tech, even though that was on the road, were two programs we definitely uh, should be expecting to be at this point in our, in our arc of our program development. Mm -hmm. the, the note that I had on, on the VT game specifically, uh, while I was watching, I think I jumped in at VT11 Tech 5. And it was weird because the announcers had noted right after I jumped in that VT had come out hot out of the gate because they set up in an offensive formation, which is weird to think about when you're talking about volleyball, but nevertheless, uh, they came out in an offensive formation of sorts that tech was not prepared for. Uh, and so Collier had to burn a timeout really early, I think right around uh, when it was VT9 Tech 3 uh, in the first set and make some adjustments. But after those adjustments, 
that entire advantage that VT had started with was negated. It was a complete boat race the rest of the way. Uh, that match ended, uh, or I guess that set ended 25 to 17, and then the other two sets, 25 15, and then 25 13. And then for the Wake Forest game, uh, that was 25 15, 25 21, and 28 26. So a little bit closer margins in that first conference clash than the second one, but really for the most part, it's taking care of the business in the exact same way that they've been doing the entire year. Yeah. And I mean, that's about to get real, real quick. Like I said, we, we get Notre Dame and Louisville up next, both in our building. Uh, Notre Dame will be on a Friday night uh, at seven. Uh, so that'll be pretty good, uh, I guess, precursor to your weekend, whatever that may be. And then Louisville, obviously a uh, top five team beat Nebraska. We, we unpacked all that last week. Um, but yeah, they're really good. Um, it, it's good to see them and uh, Pitt carrying the water for the conference and, you know, kind of a, a rising tide lifts all ships, right? If, if mm-hmm. we can toss our name in the hat for one of those, you know, top 10 type considerations, like a, a lot losses to these two teams do not ring in the same way that the dregs of the conference does. This is not a, a sport or, or a situation where, you know, every, everyone's a quality loss. I'm going to be honest, like the bottom of the ACC, those hurt. And, and these are not bottom, but mm-hmm. you know, at, at least one and one, I think would be my hope on the mm-hmm. weekend. I mean, you're talking about a Notre Dame team that finished, I think second in the conference last year. Uh, and then Louisville, obviously, I think it was the conference champ. So uh, you're looking at a really tough test. And I mean, this is where the rubber meets the road. And I, I don't think we've actually set it out right. It sounds like we've been down on the, you know, we've been at least not down, but at least neutral of the program. This is a very good volleyball team. Like, let's not, let's not beat around the bush about that. This is a very good volleyball team led by three frontline starters that all have their first or last names that start with B, which I now need you to come up with a witty nickname for on the spot. Three Bs? No. We can do better. Killer bees. Yeah, but the Steelers used that one. That's the one that came to mind for me. I don't know. Murder Hornets. I don't know. That, that, that doesn't have the bee thing in it. I don't know. Okay. Well, we're going to workshop that one. Uh, but, again, really good volleyball team. We've gone through the stats before. But as, as long as these three keep going, Bertolino, Bergman, and Brambilla, Brambilla, um, Tech is going to keep rolling. And that's that's the strategy, right, versus Notre Dame and Louisville. Make sure that they can get going and they can stay hot. Uh, and it, it just comes down to execution there. Yeah. I mean, you got you to gotta execute if you're going to beat great teams. And, you know, I, I'm not going to be down on the team. We have high expectations. But, you know, I, I think it is also important to be uh, at least a little bit of a realist to say, hey, like it, it's not like last week where you could say, all right, we expect two wins. No, play good. It's in our building. Hopefully that works in our favor and and walk out with a win and and hopefully we're we're saying twice. So mm-hmm. absolutely. Let's move on to the uh the other news of the weekend. Georgia Tech football beats UNC 45 to 22 at Mercedes. Ben's stadium, the house that Matt Ryan built. I want to start with you 
first here because I remember when we were talking about this while we were there, you want you had a couple of thoughts around the stadium and the atmosphere and sort of the series, the tone of the series overall. I mean, this is going to be a five-year thing, right? Five or six-year thing. So let's start there. Yeah. Um, obviously, like the 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 elephant in the room is the place wasn't full even in the two decks that they sold. And you can spin it however you want. Say uh, tickets got sold, but the butts weren't in the seats. You can say the student section was full, which we will circle back on because that is uh, an important indicator that I feel is probably at least a little bit more important than us as alum. Um, but maybe that's just me being still a recent grad. Um, you can spin it as, hey, like it was late or I mean, at least speaking for myself, four, going to four games uh, in four weeks in a row, plus another next week, that's exhausting. And a night game and logistics of being downtown, whatever. Um, but when the crowd got loud, I don't know if it's because it was a dome or what, um, there's definitely energy. Um, and again, we can talk about whether or not buying giant gold Georgia Tech uh, tarps would have been worth it to block off the upper deck. I say no, considering I know we're playing Clemson there, I think two times in the next three years or something like that. And like, one of those is, I think either one or both of those is a Chick-fil-A game that we do not, that we do not control the entire stadium ticket allotment for. Well, and this is, you know, taking a left turn off of that. Honestly, I, I've, I, I had this take when we played Tennessee there. Georgia Tech could own that Monday slot uh, of the Chick-fil-A kickoff game. They'd sell more tickets than they did this year. Um, granted, I don't think Clemson is the right team to put in there. You know, I mean, obviously, Auburn is kind of like the golden goose there. But, you know, the, the Auburn, the Tennessee, the they're just interesting tech matchup. I, I think that's the perfect use for this. But in terms of like proof of concept, I think you've shown it works. Um, you've shown that you can get six or 7,000 students a mile down the road. Um, and, and we can talk about more things like don't lock half of the gates of Central Park or Centennial Olympic Park. That is a Freudian slip, my guy. Yeah. I, oops. Um, whatever. It, it happens. Um, you know, like there's there's all sorts of little nitpicky things. Obviously, the park thing is way, 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 way out of what tech and, and the stadium. Tech and control, control, right? That I mean, that's yeah. a normal. I hesitate to say it's a good normal thing, but it's a it's a normal thing for the park after after games. But but the point is, at downtown Atlanta was hopping. Uh, Akshay and I were at, at, at an establishment before, and it was full to the brim. Uh, a lot of tech UNC types couple of people there to watch the Atlanta United game that were probably confused as to why the place was packed out when Atlanta United was on the road and it was a Saturday, but you know. that game was also horrible, but the, not, not an Atlanta United podcast. Yeah. I was going to say that, that that's a different podcast. Um, but yeah, in, in terms of high level, I didn't love the idea at first. I'm a big Bobby Dodd Homer, but I'd say it went pretty well, especially when things started to go our way and the energy got up there. Like, if there was 30,000 or 40,000, I would have known the difference. Uh, it sounded pretty, pretty electric to me, at least. And, and the band sounded good, too. So that's always nice. So the, let's see, ooh, um, the reported attendance was 37,450. Yeah, uh, that. Empty seats. <laughs> yeah, the, the weird thing is that ESPN does it. No, like ESPN doesn't put down that this is a 
that this is in the reduced capacity part of the arena. It still notes the capacity as 75,000. If you have the upper deck closed, so the third deck of the stadium closed, it's about 45,000 seats. So doing some rough napkin math here, that's about 83%. Yeah. 83%. Yeah. 83% is about where tech has been at historically for the last couple years so it's not really any different yeah I mean if you throw uh, out the COVID year it's not really any different I, and, and I mean we can talk about that as a problem because it is um but but I think I think we wanted this episode to talk more about the, the game being good and, and like okay. sort of the uh you know with the outcomes of the game and so some of the narratives of the game rather than some of these other concerns but i think it's important that we talk about those off field quote yes. off field things as well and as we roll into that um i will tie a bow on the attendance commentary noting again that north carolina not necessarily always our biggest sellout uh the game in particular that came to mind thinking of that is 2017 which was only 42,000 that was our previous low water mark against them in the last decade with us uh putting 50k in 2009 and then hovering between there and 42 um and I guess we hit 50k again in 2015 but you you, you get the idea so it's a little bit less than than we've seen at home traditionally I, I presume that means maybe they they're not necessarily hit a target or something like that it's still covid um and again all the stuff that we said mm -hmm. but moving on um i'm trying to think it, how do we how do we transition that into talking <laughs> about the actual football game so you so you mentioned that this game was proof of concept for the idea of the stadium series right it, it um it was it proved that this model can work i'm using air quotes podcasting as a visual medium uh, can work for Georgia Tech over the next five or six years. So let's pivot from there. The high-level narrative of this game, I think the high-level narrative question is, does this game, does this victory and how it was achieved count as proof of concept for the George Jeff Collins tenure? You know I'm a homer. So take what I'm about to say with the noted Jake is usually the glass half full guy. I was, I think, the only person on staff to predict we would win. Um, I want to see I how expect, close you were, so I'm going to. I that expected out. to be two and two after this game. They did it in a more exciting and and I think uh, future is bright kind of way, um, but it. it is a little bit frustrating to not be three and one or heck even four and oh we've we lost we've lost two games we're two and two and we've lost by a total of seven points we've outgained our opponent i believe in all four contests that is that is a tough pill to swallow but in terms of doing good things two weeks in a row hey we actually kind of did that i mean that that's some sort of proof of concept to me at least mm -hmm. so here's my my thought on it and i'll note real quick before i get into mine um noted friend of the program split zone duo i guess we can call them internet friends uh they, they were they reference willing. your site enough that we can call them friends even if they probably don't know us that well fair enough uh they were willing to call this proof of concept i don't he, my thought and I, I traditionally as i've been the more 
cynical or at least the more realistic guy out of the two of us. My thought is I think that NIU result, despite sort of the improbability of it, still stings, right? I think that still counts for something in terms of whether you're talking about, is this going to work long-term? Because those are the model of games that you have to win. Those are the model of games that you have to have, um, that you have to win automatically is, is a better way of putting it, right? Yeah. I think I agree with what you're saying when you say two and two is where we expect it to be. It's an unusual way to get there. We did it the hard way. (laughs) There's, there's a universe where the tech is three and one with a loss to NIU and a win over Clemson and a win over UNC. There's a universe where tech is four and oh, and potentially ranked with wins over Clemson uh, and UNC. Yep. We can debate the alternate universes here to, you know, till the cows come home. But the, I think my, my vibe check, to use a millennial term, on, on us through the quarter of the season is sort of, this is fine. It can be better. They have played like it can be better, especially as we're about to talk about. They have played better than that record. But in order to prove proof of concept, they have to string multiple productive offensive performances together. It would be very nice right now to be halfway to a bowl. I think we'd be talking about it at least just a little bit different, but to dovetail from that and and the expectations and string things together, I don't think that you can say that the defense in particular has not been stringing things together. And to their credit, Last night was very fun to watch. Mm-hmm. Like, like I, I think 2019-ish uh, and 2020, there's a, a definitely a bit of like a, an eye roll and a like really um, talking about like, you know, Minister of Mayhem and like like attack, attack, attack. And, and I get it, great slogans. But like, like last night, it legitimately felt like every play, there was some attempt, expectation, ability to you know, pressure Sam Howell to put the ball down. I hate that phrase, but you know, like to, to get to the pocket, to attack it, to try and take, you know, offensive weapons out of the game. Like I, I think at least in terms of that, I'm, I'm pretty confident in the direction that that is trending. Yeah. And I think that, well, that's why I made sure to specify offensive production. Right, because the defense was the bit that we were sold on, right? The defense was the bit that everyone was like, okay, Collins comes in as a former defensive coordinator, a former defensive savant at Mississippi State, at Florida, and to an extent at Temple. The offense or or the defense will be fine, but how does the team evolve or how does the team transition away from the option, right? That's the overarching narrative of the tenure, that's why I'm specifying that offensive production. If you can string together most, uh, if, if you can string together like 70 to 80% of offensive, the offensive production that Tech was able to put together in this game versus UNC next week and then the week after, I think you're talking about a very successful track moving forward. But the thing for me that I keep sticking to, and, and I, I think this is exacerbated by a, a couple of other results around the country is I don't know how that Clemson loss looks at this stage. I, it, it, 
to a certain extent, even if you account for that Clemson defense, I think there's still some questions that can be answered or asked there about Clemson's offensive functionality. Right. Um, yeah. And then at the same time, um, you have a couple of questions here and there out of those first two games, just about how much this offense can produce and then protect the quarterback. I think you have a couple of those things answered in this game, but you need to see that done consistently week in and week out. And right now we have a data point of one for the offense and a data point of two for the defense or two data points for the defense. Yeah. So that's, that's my thesis there. Well, it's, well, it's interesting. You say that I'm going to go a little bit gut feely here and we can switch into numbers as we get into that. I forgot just how fun and electric Jeff Sims was when he was on fire last year and he came into this game ready to uh, let's say, right the ship, if you will. Like it, I thought that and for those of you who didn't watch or didn't know um, Jordan Yates uh, effective, getting the ball towards the red zone, stalled down on a couple drives, settled for field goals. At, at one point it was seven, six UNC. Um, so, you know, translating a seven O UNC start into back-to-back field goals again nice that we make those now that's that's fun I like that Mm -hmm. um but uh you know Jeff Sims coming in uh he has an extra gear when he runs you definitely saw that I think it was on the third touchdown because he was going away from us um Mm -hmm. but uh the guy can run He, he found the end zone three times on the ground one time through the air I don't know. I, I, I don't want to, you know, re, you know, go from being, yes, Jordan Yates managed the game well to being like, oh, no, Jeff was the answer all along. So I don't, I don't think that's necessarily true. But I do think, like, for all this talk about them being like good pals and stuff, they were very complimentary yesterday. Mm-hmm. And, and I think they played to each other's strengths very well. Mm-hmm. I, there's a joke to be made about red zone effectiveness for home teams in that stadium, but uh, I'm going to avoid that one. Here's the thing. When we're talking about quarterback controversies, I think it was Paul that said a couple of years ago, it, actually, I don't think it was Paul, but there's a famous quote. That's like, if you have two quarterbacks, you have none. Yep. I don't think, well, let me, let me rephrase this. I don't necessarily think it's the same or that's, an issue here because we're not cycling out quarterbacks uh, every couple of drives like uh, Paul did in one of those, I think it was in 2011 or 2012 with Badley and Tevin Washington. Um, It's not a situation like that. The debate here, and I have it in our notes, is that you're sort of going for high floor versus high ceiling, right? It's a risk reward. It's an opportunity cost analysis for, for lack of a better term. And I think it's uh, one of our writers, Nishant, noted this as well. Yates was moving the ball, but stalled out in the end zone. But then they, the staff rolls the dice that a more athletic quarterback in Sims can make plays to get in the end zone and find that last five yards, that last 10 yards. And that was a gamble that paid off, right? Yeah. So it, it, it's an interesting dilemma. I, dilemma might be putting it a little a little more conflicty than I want to say, but it's an interesting concept here because you have two quarterbacks that, you know, can run the offense. It's sort of, 
which tactic, which game plan do you want to go with on the given day? And I think in this case, in this situation, in this game state where you have to be aggressive versus a team that is potentially better than you, well, is better than you in terms of talent to a certain extent, um, in terms of ranking and, and some of the star power, right? Yep. You have to roll the dice. You have to take some of those risks and you have to be aggressive in order to win. And so that's what they did. Just to talk about some of the numbers from, from Sims here, who had a really, really good day. And I think we're not, we, you stated that, but I really want to emphasize that. He had a really, really good day after coming in um, towards the end of the second quarter, maybe the middle of the second quarter. Anyway, not important. Uh, passing line, 10 of 13, 112 yards and one touchdown. He was averaging 0.63 expected points added per dropback, which is very, very, very good. Uh, ESPN had him at a 98.6 QBR, which is good enough for fourth in the nation for week four, right behind Alabama's Bryce Young. Um, So really, really good performance. But it got even better when we're talking Mm -hmm. about his – talking about his ground game, right? Uh, 10 carries, 128 yards and three TDs, uh, good enough for 1.34 expected points added per rush. And that means every time he touched the ball, it was roughly adding four thirds of a point to our score. It took according to math, which (laughs) is math. It's math. Believe the math, trust the math. Um, I will say again, to, to highlight specific things, 10 for 13, there was one pass, it wasn't intercepted, but it did get tipped. That still found its way into, uh, I can't remember who I think it was. It was McCollum. Is Ma- either McCollum or Carter? Okay, I don't so know that. I didn't know if it was Malachi about. or Nate, but, but yeah, no, the, uh, I, I think that was about uh, as emblematic of the evening, particularly in terms of quarterback plays you can have, in that it didn't matter what he did or, or, or what the offense did. They found a way to make it work, in my opinion. And th- there's an argument to be said that the score should be higher. This is without us unboxing the phantom whistle called on Dante Smith on what would have turned a almost no yard gain into a touchdown uh, from about midfield. So, uh, again, not even leaving points on the table in terms of like the offense. It was more just like, like this this doesn't feel like their final four, Makshe. Like, it, it no, it's, feels like they still have more potential, which is wild. It's good execution of a game plan that we've seen the pieces of uh, in, in previous games. And I think the thing that we've, we've said all along dur- during the course of the season is that the offensive play calling is there. The plays, the scheme, all of that is there. It just depends on execution. It depends on finding the right receivers. It depends on, uh, it depends on the protections. Right. And I think a lot of credit goes to the offensive line in this one who kept who kept the pocket mostly clean. And even when it wasn't clean, Sims and Yates in their respective uh, tenures during this game were able to step up and either scramble pretty effectively uh, or they had designed run plays that took advantage of uh, of fooling the defense into a full on pass rush uh, and then sneaking through out through the center or out wide. Uh, And I think the scheme here, the tactics here were really good for the situation at hand. Just a couple more quick notes on the offense as we, as we move along. Uh, Dante Smith was really good in this one. He was the, uh, I think he was the number four overall running back in PFF grades. 
uh, either this week or overall in the nation right now. Um, 0.24 EPA per rush. Not a lot of carries in this one. I think he only had six. Uh, yeah, he only had six, but a lot of important ones, I would say. Jordan Mason as well, eight carries for 42 yards uh, for 0.21 EPA per rush. So really, really good work there. Offensive line only allowed one sack. So that's really, really good, um, especially after they allowed uh, two versus Kennesaw State. So uh, yeah. two, or, I think it was two or three versus Kennesaw State. So there's there's consistent improvement there uh, as well. Um, Kyrick McGowan, I think we were giving him shout outs all night uh, while we were doing the live tweeting. He, he had a really, really good game, but I don't think really the stats show it. Um, he had uh, three catches on six targets for 39 yards, uh, but an EPA per play of 0.26. So a really good performance from him. Uh, a couple of other things as well. Uh, on early downs, so that's first and second down, Tech had a really, really good day or night in this case, 23.5 EPA created on those plays, uh, 0.47 uh, on average. So that, again, really, really good execution. Uh, and then on rushing opportunities, so that's any gain over four yards, Tech usually added about 11 more on top of those gains. So while so we're, we're talking about an offensive line that has had trouble with protection in, in recent weeks, but they were able to keep it solid. They were able to keep it steady. And then also running backs and quarterbacks for Georgia Tech were able to take those baseline level opportunities created by the line and turn those into big gains uh, pretty, pretty consistently. Yep. Um, any other notes on the offense before we move on? Um, not a ton. Uh, I thought the pass game looked good, uh, both receivers and tight ends. Um Again, we talked about the quarterbacks, we talked running backs, offensive line. I really think that does it. I mean, <laughs> um, I, I usually think points when I think uh, offense, but we can we can talk about some of the the kicking, punting, and uh, and kickoffs later on when we talk special teams. Okay, so let's move on to the defense. And I think you mentioned it earlier. Um, this was a really good performance. Again, I, I mean, you're talking yeah. about doing this versus the SP plus third overall offense uh they're now down to six but again third overall offense going into this week and it was a really 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 good game from the defensive line who caused the unc protection scheme a whole lot of trouble in this one yeah and and i think that's that's critical to note is just how good uh of an offense that unc graded out as uh it's still top 10 uh offense and, and that's quite different from ah we held you know commonly regarded as impotent Clemson offense to only 14 points. Well, you know, when, when you hold a team that just hung almost 60 on Virginia last week to, to 22, I think then you can say that you're, you're, you know, that, that repeatable success, like they, they did it more power to. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will note a couple more stats here. Uh, 22% havoc rate is what I got for the Georgia tech defense, which is very, very good. That includes eight sacks of Sam Howell, along with three fumbles of his own. Uh, UNC was stopped for a gain of two or fewer yards on 41% of its rushes. So a lot of work being done up front. Uh, There are some concerns here. I think we still do have to note those down. Howell was still able to throw for 300 plus yards. 
he had a really bad day at the office, but he still threw for 300 plus yards on the, on this defense. Um, and at one point during, I think it was the end of the third quarter, he took only two minutes off of the clock on a scoring drive for a touchdown. So the way that it seemed to me is that it's a lot of covered sacks here. Um, a, a couple of those were just bull rush, like really good, really good line play. A couple of them were covered sacks where Howell just had too much time to think. So there's still some room for improvement on that line play, getting the quarterback a little bit quicker. Um, another part is because Howell still has all that time. Um, there were some issues with coverage in the secondary. I think when tech dropped back into a zone, Howell was finding seams and sort of that seven to 10 to 15 yard range uh, of throws pretty consistently. Um, it's just that he made bad tuck and run decisions. He made bad stay in the pocket decisions. Um, and I, he just lost control of the football a lot. It, it was just not a good pocket passer performance from Sam Howell. Yes, I, I agree. And in terms of talking about him, you know, finding in the seven to 10 and yard range and whatnot, again, I never played the game. People out there listening, if you disagree, let us know. We do like interacting about all this stuff. I think if you're going to be an effective defense, you have to be effective in multiple different looks. And I, I think we did do that a fair bit. Um, and you know what? If if he's finding and able to take advantage of one specific thing, great. I'd rather him find some success in, in picking apart our, our past defense at least a little bit. But, uh, I mean, we were effective uh, for the most part in, in stopping deep balls. Uh, we were effective, very effective in stopping the run, uh, as, as noted earlier. Like, that, there's always going to be something, right? Mm-hmm. And I think in terms of as a whole, you can probably say that Georgia Tech – be it, you know, short passes, rush, deep balls, the, the effectiveness there and, and the looks they were getting, I think, out, outweighed it. But, but that's also mm-hmm. just my opinion. Also, I know counting stats, whatever, but eight sacks and, and three fumbles forced and recovered. You can, you can hang your hat on that right there. And your average Joe on the street is going to know that that's a pretty darn good day, you know? Mm-hmm. And that... UNC offensive line is uh, not having a good season whatsoever. Uh, I think on on Split Zone this morning, you saw Richard mention that progression is not linear when it comes to college football. And just because they returned a bunch of that talent from last year doesn't mean that they are still, they are getting better. Right. And, And I think we saw that come to roost both in the Virginia tech game to start the year. And then also in this one, um, so that's, so that's a concern for, for UNC there, obviously a strength for, for Georgia tech or something for that Georgia tech took well advantage of. I think another point there, and you're right about something being open for UNC. It, it might've been a tactical thing, leaving that seven to 10 yard, op- uh, those seven to 10 yard routes open, because like you said, uh, Howell was having a lot of trouble hitting the deep ball. He only hit one of those really, really deep passes. He only showcased the arm one time in which he was actually accurate. And it was sort of a, you know, throw, throw the ball into a two-foot wide bread box kind of moment uh, yep. in the end zone that we were sitting in, which is great for him. But also, he only got one of those really, really good passes in. So 
I think if you're willing to play some of the deep ball coverage stuff uh, a little bit tight and limit those, limit those chances, limit those explosive plays, and then also generate a, uh, generate a good amount of pressure and limit the running game like, like Tech was able to do. Like you said, the, the losses or I guess the leaving that middle part of the zone a little soft is fine because you're, you're at least forcing them to move down the field a little bit more slowly. Yeah. Um, there's one other thing I was going to add on that. I can't really remember, but I'm sure it was wonderful and insightful. <laughs> um, I, I will say it is, it is worth re-emphasizing here. Sam Howell was widely considered to be, if not the best, one of the very best returning quarterbacks. And, you know, maybe, maybe that's perception and hype and, I don't know. UNC certainly had a lot of love coming into the year and it doesn't necessarily make them untalented what they, what they put together here, but I don't think anyone saw this quite this performance from this defense, even if it was very effective. How's that against this offense? Yeah. I I think I have here. It's unclear. I don't think you can say he's bad. He's definitely a good quarterback. Right. He's definitely a talented quarterback. He's not terrible. I've seen some terrible quarterbacks. I, I watch the Falcons every week, believe me. Um, and that's not a Matt Ryan. That's not Matt Ryan slander. That's more Daniel Jones slander who they played today. But anyway, besides the point, um, I don't think you can say he's Heisman contender material like everyone was banging the drum for during the preseason everyone is a little extensive but him and dj from from clemson were the two top acc quarterbacks the two heisman contending or uh, playoff contending quarterbacks and both of them have regressed this season so far so it's it's an interesting time to be an acc quarterback i think that's it's kind of what we can say well and and kind of dovetailing into that I'm, i'm sure this kind of goes bigger picture than we usually focus on in the podcast in terms of talking about the rest of the conference Everyone sees, and everyone being the, the media, et cetera, et cetera, sees the ACC at kind of eating itself alive or whatever, being competitive, being chaotic as, wow, look, this is proof that they're all terrible. But, you know, I, I think it's good to have a lot of teams in the mix. I, I think it's good to have a competitive conference. Um, I think it's made the product very compelling this year, top to bottom. I found myself interested in watching Boston College play Mizzou yesterday like when does that ever happen you know what i mean but but it 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 draws eyes to the wake forests of the world who has a very effective program and and could very well get to nine and oh before facing uh, a a large test you have nc state who i guess is theoretically still unbeaten in acc play you have uh i mean tech has a loss to clemson but i think it the battle of the techs homecoming weekend is going to is looming larger now than it was before. Obviously, we have to take care of business in the meantime with, with Pitt and uh, Duke and mm, I can't remember who else. Um, not important. <laughs> uh, UVA. There's a buy in there, probably. There, there is a buy on the 16th or the 23rd, but we do we do also play a football game somewhere in there. Um, too far. Looking too far ahead. Like these these are very far in advance, but sure sure you could say. Howell or, or DJU are having down years, et cetera, et cetera, whatever. Hey, Georgia Tech is the most interesting it's been since 
in, in my humble opinion, since uh, that UVA field goal sailed wide left at the end of, uh, at the end of 2018 to put us uh, at f- five and four, six and four. Yeah. I think, I think it made us bowl eligible. That bar um, is, that bar is uh, low. Hey, Hey, I- I'm just saying we're in the mix. We're interesting. That's a good place to be. I mean, rip UNC, but <laughs> not my problem. Not my problem either. I feel so bad for them. So, so bad. Uh, let's just go over the rankings real quick. FPI has Tech at 33rd. Uh, SB Plus has Tech at 62nd. Uh, it's anyone's guess as to the discrepancy. I'm not really sure. Uh, 77th offense, uh, 42nd defense, and 91st special teams in SB Plus. Uh, our friend Robert, our fellow writer Robert's Bindex has not been updated yet, so I don't have those numbers just uh, just on hand yet. Let's move forward in the time that we have allotted. Zoom hasn't kicked me out yet uh, to talk about this next game versus Pitt. Pitt played a September homecoming game versus FCS University of New Hampshire or yesterday and won by 70 points. I don't really think you can take anything away from that, right? I mean, most people don't know that New Hampshire even has a football team. So I, I don't think this necessarily counts. It's, it's homecoming. They were at home. They're playing an FCS team, an FCS team that uh, is not in the, let's say, conventional uh, collective conscious of your average football fan. I, I think perhaps the looking at the rest of their schedule, maybe the Tennessee game is more revealing, but I mean, this was a, this was a pit team that very well could have come into our game uh, next week undefeated and they're not. So is, is the question, I think the question becomes whose Mac loss is less of a fluke. That's where we got to start. It's an interesting question because you have Pitt who has played, here's Pitt's schedule so far. Um, UMass beat UMass 51 to seven beat Tennessee 41 to 34 lost to Western Michigan 44 to 41 beat New Hampshire 77 to seven. So they're three and one, they're fourth in the coastal uh, and heading to Atlanta uh, for a showdown at noon, the best of all kickoff time slots. They are, it's weird because you talk about that schedule and then you look at their SP plus ranking and they're 21st in the nation. Right, the offense is allegedly there on a per play basis, even when adjusting for opponent and adjusting for conference. The defense has always been there, and the special teams have always been there. Those aren't problems that that Pitt has ever had to worry about. So, how do we set this up narratively? What what are the high stakes for both Tech and Pitt in this game for you? I mean, I get that. I guess Pitt technically is in the catbird seat for the coastal, but I, I guess that neither of us really truly are again, again, that's super far out, but I think more than anything, this is going to be a, how, how does tech, I mean, obviously we just beat a coastal opponent last week. So it's probably a stupid comment, but like this is where it starts to need to become a pattern. I guess that we said that last week, rather than it being a one-off, like, like the pits of the world, are teams with high floors and low ceilings. 
Mm-hmm. Georgia Tech right now feels like pe- like a team with a high ceiling and a low floor. And I figure that we've seen the floor in losing to a MAC team. Given that there are no MAC teams left on our schedule, we can't oh, do that again. That's- Let's uh let's pump the brakes. I've seen the the floor has been lower in previous years, but let's continue, continue. Anyways, my point is we know Georgia Tech is talented. We know they're electric. They're going to be at home, all, all, all that fun stuff. They're, they have momentum. How does that translate to a team that is led by Kenny Pickett, who was the quarterback when – you know, VE day happened in 1945 and has been at Pittsburgh ever since. Deep pull. I'm impressed. And uh, I, I have lots of Kenny Pickett timeline jokes just in my back pocket waiting to go. But you can't ask for a more experienced fellow than Kenny Pickett. I think this will be his fourth time starting a game at Bobby Dodd Stadium. Do you know how bananas that is? That is crazy. He's also a transfer I think three years in a row. So let's find out. Kenny Pickett. Uh, please vamp while I figure out where Kenny Pickett or what Kenny yeah. Pickett has done. Again, the Narduzzi seven years. People know what you're getting in Pat Narduzzi. The reason that people ask the very legitimate question of was last night proof of concept of the Jeff Collins shtick is because. That, that that's exactly the kind of credibility Narduzzi has that that Collins doesn't, and we can start writing a lot into direction of program in terms of talk around it. But the talk is talk, right? So at, at some point, it's going to have to translate. And I think we were we were this close last year to seeing some weird stuff happen in that pit game, uh, and, and quite frankly, we did. Oh, and some officiating nonsense. Let's be clear. Some absolute aberrant officiating nonsense. And, And I think the reason, one of the things that like stuck with us, even, even though we lost the game, I'm going to speak collectively. Hopefully you agree. Uh, Uh If not, feel free to say it, but in, in the whole handshake brouhaha, whatever, we finally saw a side of Jeff Collins where it wasn't just here's the buzzwords. And, and the last couple of weeks, I don't usually listen to the, to the pressers. I, I find them not that useful. And, and the language hasn't really changed, but like one, there seems to be more emotion. Like, like he believes what he's saying more and like, haha, here's this thing. Like Clemson, like emotional game. Last night, emotional game. And a, a lot of like the phrasing hasn't changed that much, but it definitely rang true with me because like, it seemed like it actually worked. I know that sounds dumb to say, but I don't know. There, there's credibility in, in, in that coming along with it. And, and that's why I'm willing to say that last night was a proof of concept of what an effective Georgia Tech Jeff Collins mm-hmm. team would look like. Even if this team isn't all the way there that yet this year, I think that's the kind of games that we would be playing if we are to see, you know, success in a year or two or three and, and build this up into hopefully something that stays a while. Cause for all the, all the flack and, and, and hard times and, and, you know, with like, we, we want to see this program succeed and we want to see this group of coaches and, and players succeed too. So. Mm-hmm. I, I think if you're going to, you know, take it to the macro level, the shtick, the marketing speak, all that stuff was always going to start grading if it didn't come with success. Right. So you 
sort of see it in a different light, a, a, a warmer light when it when the same spiel or a similar spiel comes with a win rather than a loss. It just so happens that a lot of those losses that he's given more stick at have been egregious, let's say. The, the Citadel one, last year's Clemson one, um, and the NIU one, to, to name a few out of the ether here. But I will agree that he is starting to open up a bit when it comes to the shtick. And I think that's something that you need to do in year three, right? Um, when you're trying to prove proof of concept, you need to have a little bit more weight with what you're saying. And, and like you said, he's now had two games of potential proof of concept or whatever you want to call it. And now he's able to sort of have more weight to the more speak. Uh, and, and it's showing in those press conferences to sort of recenter on, on our pit preview here. I think this game is the deciding factor for that proof of concept for me, at least Pitt has been that bugaboo team for not only Collins last year, but for tech, probably since I started. So like since 2015, you had those two Chris Blewett years um, that were awful that were just late losses. Um, and then Pat Narduzzi is just Pat Narduzzi for, to put it politely. So um, this is a game that if you can win and you can win cohesively and you can win at home and not look awful doing so, um, like we refuse, like refuse to turn this into a big 10 game in order to win it. I think I would be able to stamp this with proof of concept in terms of offensive execution and defensive strength. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. Also, uh, I didn't see if Kenny Pickett came from somewhere else to wrap this back. Uh, yeah, uh, he started at Pitt. Uh, the problem is that both of the quarterbacks that were in front of him transferred out. That's why I remember the transfer. And Nucci. Ben DiNucci, yeah. noted NFL quarterback, Ben DiNucci, and uh, yep. Max Brown, former USC quarterback. So uh, Pickett started in 2017, 2018, 2019 uh, was his junior year, 2020 was his senior year, and then obviously this is his COVID year. So, um, you know, he's been there since VE day, like you said. Uh, just to note down some of the projections here, SP Plus has pit by eight points. Vegas has pit by four what are you looking for uh, from this game? What, what are your signs of success beyond just the point total? There are news outlets. I don't know if they're credible or not. I'm not familiar with Pitt's little world um, that are calling Kenny Pickett the best college quarterback in America. If you can do what you did to Kenny Pickett or to Sam Howell to Kenny Pickett, that's, I think, my success because it's the consistency. And that, I mean, we saw it even in flashes. Uh, I think we saw it a lot in the Louisville game last year, actually. But, you know, we've seen it in flashes in the past. But if they can continue that kind of pressure, uh, especially against a, like a proven, calm, confident, poised Kenny Pickett, you can do that to anyone, you know? Mm -hmm. And I, I, I mean, Kenny, calling Kenny Pickett the best quarterback in America – works by some metrics 
because he's played two games in which his team has averaged over 50 points. So, but who are they playing? UMass and New Hampshire? You got to play somebody from this side of the house before we start talking about that. Come on. There's, look, I'm just justifying what they're saying with, if you look at the volume, if you look at the volume, they're technically correct, which of course is the best kind of correct, but I digress. I think I agree on the, on the consistency part defensively. Um, But, but I'm also going to pivot that and talk about offensive consistency. Right. You want to see a similar quarterback performance, but against a better defense, right? That that pit defense, like we said, is the 29th ranked overall defense in SP plus. And then you also want to see the same offensive line consistency. It was a really good offensive line performance. And also the play calling in spots was built to take the load off of the offensive line. You saw a lot of rollouts. You saw a lot of uh, or a lot of rollouts, a couple of bootlegs, a couple of sprint outs here and there. Um keep doing that and keep taking that load off of the offensive line for having to pass protect for two or three or four seconds while receivers get open um, and make your, and make your quarterback work a little less, or at least get a little less beaten up uh, in the process. And I think that bodes for success for Georgia tech in this game. Yeah, I agree. Um, again, offensive line quarterback I, I, consistency. That's the name of the game. Mm-hmm. All about consistency. Anything else before we wrap up? We are already 15 minutes over what Zoom told me I could record, but it's letting me record anyway. You have the floor. Aha, freedom. Um, no, uh, again, I do want to circle back. It, it's, it's amazing what it feels like to walk out of a game and go like, feel like satisfied other than I expected to win that. Like, a lot of our games have been just hitting that expectation. Uh, it felt good to, to notch an upset. It's okay to enjoy these feelings and, and to savor it while they're here. We're not on the team. We don't have to worry about prepping. Uh, you know, like we're, we're fans. We got seven days to at least find some satisfaction in that. Um, let's see what else. Uh, if you're on the fence about going to, to the pick game, hopefully you're there or, or at least, you know, supporting in spirit. Um and uh, I, I don't know what 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 do you think is going to happen next week? What do, what are your uh, your fresh off the presses predictions? Are we gonna win? I don't offer hot takes, as we mm-hmm. all know. Uh, I did see if you're looking at tickets, uh, I'm seeing SeatGeek has Summit 29, which sounds a little high. Uh, I thought I saw some for 18 elsewhere in the stadium i'm sure face value is probably around 20 so uh yeah i mean it'll be a nice day let's look at the weather forecast weather.com atlanta this is where we just need to uh have a professional meteorologist on staff i mean you want to pay for that because nope woof uh saturday the second 81 high of 81 low of 60 so actually it will be it'll be hot it'll be toasty but nice day for the most part we will live we will live it is a noon kickoff it is on the acc network mr grant thank you for joining me today um it is now 9 30 and we gotta go last word yes uh from the rumbleseat.com, from the rumbleseat at gmail.com via email, FTRS blog on Twitter. I'm 
at jgrant98 and Akshay uh, doesn't advertise his. Uh, feel free to tweet us, email us, leave a comment, uh, subscribe, tell your friends, I don't know, all the, the, the YouTube stuff to uh, borrow a phrase. And uh, yeah, go, go watch volleyball this week too. These are, these are going to be a pair of great games. So should should be a fun weekend. Also go talk someone's ear off about our blog like Jake did during a football game. That's, uh, that's always a good advertisement. We will see you next week. Oh,